We're back with another episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Walling. This is episode 574. And this week, we're back talking to a founder who just couldn't get away from software. He's a software developer turned podcaster turned marketer. And now he's a software entrepreneur. He's the founder of Lasso at getlasso.co, which is affiliate management software for WordPress websites. The founder is Andrew Fiebert, and he co-founded the business with his wife, Laura, back in 2019. And I really enjoyed my conversation with Andrew because of the path that he followed. And it was so not predictable to watch him be a, a software developer by day and then to start a podcast about personal finance almost on accident, and then to have such success with that that it rolled him into his next thing and his next thing, and he just keeps reinventing himself. But before we dive in to my conversation with Andrew, I wanted to let you know that the State of Independent SaaS survey is live once again. This is our third annual survey, and we will have the report ready in just a couple of months. We usually present that at the end of January. But if you haven't heard of the State of Independent SaaS or haven't participated, or if you have, we'd really love for you to take about eight minutes, maybe 10, if, if you sip your coffee while you're, while you're taking the survey, head over to stateofindiesass.com and we will have a link there where you can get to the survey. It's about, it depends on the path and the, the choices you make during the survey or the answers you give, but it's about 30 to 40 questions. And it should be things that you know off the top of your head, how many founders do you have? What's your MR? Are that kind of stuff. It's all anonymous. And we put this survey together to help the community, the bootstrapped, mostly bootstrapped SaaS founders that we're calling independent SaaS or indie SaaS. And the idea is for us to have some type of benchmarks, not only that we can look at a point in time, but then look at trends over the years. And now that we're doing our third survey, I'm super excited to see if the trend continues from last year of more people offering free plans, of more companies offering free trials, and of fewer companies asking for a credit card before their trial. Each of those ticked towards basically moving the free line about 3%, 4%, something like that. So I'm curious to see if that's going to hold solid, if it'll reverse, or if it'll keep going. And we need your responses in order to be able to do that. Again, everything's anonymous, and I'd love to have your data be part of that report. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Andrew Fieber of Lasso. Andrew Fieber, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's not often that I have a podcaster or former podcaster on the show. I got to be honest. And from way back in the day, you started Listen Money Matters in 2012. Yeah, before it was cool. And I think we left right when it became cool. Yeah. When, <laughs> when, how long did the show run? I want to say like eight years. I mean, it, it was a large part of my life at this point. Yeah, I bet. And I, I had heard of the show before you and I, you know, connected. And obviously, you're part of a batch three of Tiny Seed with with your um, WordPress plugin Lasso. But it is interesting how there's this thread through your story of you start the podcast, you with your wife start an affiliate site, and then need to scratch your own itch and build a WordPress plugin. Those sound disjointed, or they sound like they're all over the place in terms of a podcast affiliate site. And it's now software, right? But there's a there's a thread that ties them together, and that's what I want to cover today. Is just how interesting these stories can somehow unfold. Like when you started the podcast, did you know how you were going to monetize it? Were you did you plan to make it, you know, kind of an affiliate type product? Look, we 
we knew how we were going to monetize it, like from day one, and then that didn't work. And then we knew what would work next, and that didn't work. And I think it took us about three years to actually make money. Um, but we were certain for the whole first three years how we were going to do it wrong, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. And I guess to flash forward, I'll just I'll talk about Lasso briefly. From your H1 on your site, it says your affiliate site is losing 30% of its revenue. Fix your broken links, find new affiliate opportunities, and create product displays that convert. And it's a WordPress plugin that you charge a monthly or a yearly subscription, which it that in itself is is a relatively unique thing. I think annual subscriptions are, are sometimes common with WordPress, but have you found having a WordPress plugin with a monthly subscription has, have you gotten pushback on that? Because, you know, so many WordPress plugins are free and then some of them charge annual. And I, I think there's a, a smaller number that, that do monthly recurring. I'll maybe give up my, my cards a little bit. We've only gotten pushback on price for sites that clearly would not be good fit or are, are not really bringing in revenue, but maybe the giving up the cards piece is half of our revenue is monthly and half is yearly. And so I think the existing people out there being only yearly, I mean, they're just turning away half of their customers, I think. That's super interesting. And you have a team of nine people working on Lasso and you yourself are a developer and and you co-founded these businesses with your wife, which is, I have kind of some, some founding teams that I love in terms of the roles and I love a subject matter expert and a developer. And that to me is what the two of you are. The, the subject matter expertise in terms of Lasso is affiliate marketing. And your wife runs an affiliate site. It's called giftlab.co. And so unless I continue to just monologue here, I want to roll back to where this story starts. And I feel like it starts with, listen, money matters. Is that right? Yeah. And that's it started as a blog. And then why, why did you start podcasting? Because you told me that story offline and it's hilarious. Yeah, so started the blog because I wanted to make passive income and obviously I thought it was as easy as it was not going to be. And then someone commented on the blog. His name was Matt Givanisi. I had maybe two other commenters at the time, so I was really excited, reached out to him, we chatted. We actually met in person. And I just kind of like would Skype with him on building business things. We didn't know what we were doing. And I would talk to him about money. He was living with his brother. He was poor. In that he wasn't making money, he'd quit his job. And I would kind of berate him for being bad at money or tell him what I would do, maybe slightly, I don't know. Uh, Anyways, my wife would hear it and she was like, you guys should record this. I didn't even really care to do any audio or put myself in front of, you know, use my face. We recorded it. Uh, There weren't really any other personal finances out there, personal finance podcasts out there at the time. And it blew up. That's crazy. And do you think it's it's because you were early or was it especially good? Because I'll just tell you, when I look back at like the first 10 episodes of this podcast, they're not, they're not good. We were early. We were in 2010 and we just built over many years. Do you feel like you had a better handle on it? Did you have that performance aspect or are they also equally not good? <laughs> no. What? No, no. We didn't, we didn't know what we were doing and it was objectively really bad. I don't even think we had decent mics, but I think what resonated is that it was off the cuff, honest conversation between two friends. And so instead of like a elderly man, like lecturing you on how to do things and you're doing it wrong, we were just kind of like figuring it out and discussing it and doing research. And so I think it was very approachable. And then people stuck around enough that we were able to get decent at it. 
Yeah, approachability is so huge. And I think that it's more it's much more common these days in podcasts. But even the first obviously radio is never approachable. When I used to listen to it, it always seemed far off in the distance, like Hollywood or just, you know, some other being in a movie or a TV show. But podcasts at a certain point, a few of them started creeping out. Tropical NBA was an early one for me where I was like, wait, it's just two dudes talking about stuff. And my guess is listen, money matters in the early days. That's a huge huge piece of it. So you, you already mentioned then you had ideas of how to monetize it that didn't work. What, what were a couple of those experiments that just blew up in your face? You know, everyone's like, oh, you just have to use Patreon and then everyone will come and they'll just pay you. And I was like, ah, that's like awesome. And it's so easy. So I could record this video. I don't know how to do video. So I want to say like literally took my wife and I like a week to like put this together. Uh, I don't think anyone paid us through it, which was very demotivating. <laughs> you know, then it was like, oh, oh, no, no, you create like premium content and then they'll pay you through Patreon or whatever. So we created other peripheral podcasts. We had three podcasts at one point. That didn't work. No one wanted to buy ads when we were small. The only way we were able to do it was through affiliate income because personal finance payouts are so high. You know, like one conversion to personal capital was $100. And so that was like, serious revenue for a business that made nothing. And so affiliate revenue, and that's the thing, you know, I think offline you mentioned that you had listened to Pat Flynn, right, before that, and, and it seemed, he, he made it look easy to make money online, right? And that was a piece of it. So people listening to this should know what that is, but affiliate commissions are if you mention a product, whether in your blog or on the podcast, you then have a link that goes to that site. And if someone signs up for a credit card or, you know, in your case, because it's personal finance or signs up for a bank account, then you get that a fee, like you said, a hundred bucks per sign up. And it's, it, it's pretty lucrative, right? I mean, if you hit the, if you get enough traffic. Yeah. And I think what people don't realize is that so much of like online and offline business is based on this kind of commission when you make a sale setup. It's just, it just is not as mature online. You know, if you were to buy stuff for your home because you're doing work, your contractor might make commission on the things that they buy or, or life insurance. You know, there used to be insurance salesmen and they make affiliate commission. And so I was just kind of the extension of that. Right. Right. And then at a certain point, were you looking to launch other affiliate websites? Once you got good at Listen Money Matters, obviously there's a website and a podcast and you're making some decent income from there. Then was it like, well, let's do more affiliate sites? Because at a certain point, you know, like you said, your your wife and, and you started Gift Lab. So how did that come about? So Gift Lab, uh, Laura at the time was editing the podcast and she was running our editorial team at Listen Money Matters. So like our writers write something and she would review it and make sure, you know, it fit the research of what we wanted to position articles for. And in kind of digging around in Ahrefs, and this was years ago, she found gift keywords and the competition was zero. There was just like, like, I think I remember she was showing me Quinceanera gifts, which is maybe a one, two, three thousand visits a month term. And there was not a single article in the top 10 results that was a list or any ideas for gifts for a quinceanera. There was nothing. And so we kind of felt it was wide open pastures. It was like a just playing around um, and it wound up sticking in a very big way. Right. So someone hearing that story might think, oh, you got lucky that your wife, you know, stumbled upon this thing in Ahrefs. But there's other components to that, right? Because the two of you probably put in a ton of hard work and had some skills that you were able to to apply. Is that right? 
I had been building websites from before college and during college for people. I was doing contract work and kind of understood a lot of that stuff beforehand. I was a data engineer before we eventually quit our jobs to do this. So I was really good at kind of like analyzing data and finding outliers. But even still with all of that, you know, at our backs, we failed so many times on like we own bossypaws.com, a great cat website that no one goes to and homespun.co, <laughs> a great, you know, like we have all these failures and a few worked. Right. And that's the thing, that survivorship bias that, that so many podcasts or TechCrunch or the media looks at and, and these outlier things of this big success of, of you know, Gift Lab or Listen Money Matters or Startups for the Rest of Us or whatever. You can say, oh, they did this, therefore I can do that too. But it's almost like a lot of things have to come together and you probably have to fail a bunch to get there. That's the usual story, right? Yeah. We have a new sponsor this week. And if you've attended a microconf in the past or seen one of our YouTube videos, you've likely seen one of the founders of Software Promotions. Dave Collins has spoken seven times at different microconfs. And with his business partner, he runs Software Promotions, where they do Google ads and SEO work, both sides of Google. They've worked with more than 600 businesses, have 22 years of experience. They've been doing it a long time. They've worked with a lot of folks in the microconf community, and they know what they're doing, and they consistently produce results. You can head to bit.ly slash tame Google, or look in our show notes for a link to softwarepromotions.com. Okay, so you launched GIF Lab. How long did it take to, to make it into something where you were like, this really has legs? I, I distinctly remember GIF Lab's like, kind of numbers and timeline because it, it happened so much quicker than Listen Money Matters. And I think because we learned a lot of it building and failing with Listen Money Matters, but everything is kind of anchored to the Christmas season with GIF Lab. And so we started halfway through a year. So it was the first 1.5 years, we made 9,000. And then it was the next plus one year, it was about 30 something thousand. And, and it either doubled or tripled every subsequent year. Wow, that's a great business. Yeah, I, no one listening should create a business like this. I'm just saying, I'm based on gifts. Yeah, totally. Don't compete with <laughs> Don't that. compete yeah. with me. You don't want to. When, when did GIF Lab launch? Do you remember? What, even what year? I want to say it was like 2015, 2016. I think we were about like three-ish years into Listen Money Matters. Got it. Okay. And Gift Lab is still quite successful today, right? Your, your wife focuses on, on running that. Yeah. I, I uh, think of it in terms of multiples of my engineering salary of past, <laughs> and, and it is many times of me working a full year for someone else. There you go. So then, okay. So then that begs the question. You guys are kind of set, you and your wife. You have kids. You have twins, right? Twins. Yeah. yeah. Boy, girl. Boy, girl. And why then go start this? Like software is such a pain in the ass, man. It really is. <laughs> it, it really so, is. So why go die now? <laughs> There's a reason I don't start SaaS apps anymore. I started enough of them to, to finally learn. No, it, it obviously these companies become worth so much and the, the adventure is amazing and everything. But I'm curious what the motivation was for, for you to dig into it, even though you, know, you had a successful podcast, a successful, essentially a personal brand, you had that affiliate side and then you had GIF Lab, but something had to have been burning inside you to decide to, you know, to build it. 
Yeah. So I want to say we were maybe about a year and a half, two years into building Listen Money Matters. And we went to our first conference. So I think it was like a podcaster conference. I think it was, I, I forget the name of it. It's like the podcaster conference. And it was the first year of it we went to. And we went to like the first few years of it. And um, I remember I still had my full-time job and I was listening to all these speakers talk about how they're unhirable now because they, they do their own thing. And I literally cried while my wife was there at the conference. I, I felt so strongly about it and I wanted it so bad, but I was like so far away then. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to get there fast enough with the podcast, but I have this really good idea and I registered affiliatetoolkit.com. And I tried, and I like, you know, I have like my eyes are red from crying, and I, you know, I wipe them off. I'm pitching Laura and I'm pitching Madden on this. I'm like, guys, this is what we have to do. And they're pretty much like they're like, Andrew, stop. No, you're you're being stupid. And I, I've been like mulling on it for a while. So so part of it's been burning in me. But the other part is I'm I'm a developer and I went through like all these years of college and at the highest levels of doing like big data stuff. And I feel like if I don't succeed with my core skill at tech, like maybe, you know, like it's cool to have a podcast, but I'm not a radio guy. I'm, a, I'm an engineer, you know, and so it was a lot of that. And so did, did you launch Affiliate Toolkit? And, and did <laughs> No, no, no. Everyone told me I was really dumb and that I shouldn't do it. And so flash forward then to 2019. And you start building Lasso, which is an affiliate, you might say it's an affiliate toolkit for, for WordPress sites, right? Yeah. And how did you convince Laura that it was a good idea at that point? And, and what was the burning desire there? Was it still just to own a software company or is there something else? So we actually, I, I didn't wind up building it to sell where at uh, first I wanted to sell it because I just wanted to make money so bad to quit my job. I almost didn't care what I had to do to do it. But I'd already quit my job and we were building it to help make our lives easier. So Gift Lab, uh, I think there's like 15,000 links to Amazon products on the site. And we have a lot of people on the team that are replacing broken links and, you know, creating new lists. And to be honest, I had no idea if things were monetized or not monetized or what was going on. Uh, and the same became true of List of My Matters. I think we peaked at almost 800 articles on the site. And so it was like, for me, I had anxiety thinking about how much money I could be making because I didn't know what was going on. And so I, I developed this to automate the monetization on Gift Lab, make cool displays and comparison tables on List of Money Matters, and eventually, 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 friends um, in the space like asked if they could use it. Yeah, and you know, if someone visits the site, obviously the ability to have these really nice product displays with, you have an example of the book Essentialism. It has the cover image and then a nice little description and says buy from Amazon. So you can put that together. You can manage all your important links in one place. And that's what you're talking about, where if you have a thousand affiliate links on a site, going into every WordPress post is a, is a disaster. So somehow you you tie into that and allow uh, someone to basically manage it in one place. Is that the idea? Those, those are key benefits. Yeah, and like if, if these links are monetized and to, to kind of pull it out to the extreme, at Listen Money Matters, you know, we would like recommend debt products or investing products. But many of these products are literally the same as other ones, difference by name, perhaps a sign of funnel. And so using Lasso, we were able to test, you know, earnest versus credible, two debt product companies find out, oh, we make more money with Ernest, literally putting the link in the same as I place, so then we convert everything to Ernest. And so it was 
you know, kind of bringing in unmonetized links, discovering we'd link to a domain that had an affiliate program. All we had to do was monetize a link. And so it was like, after we resolved one issue, we're like, I want more. Let's see if we could, you know, push it a little further. And it be, it grew into this kind of monetization suite. Right. And that's, that's the thing is it's one thing to write software to effectively scratch your own itch, you know, which is kind of the, the phrase people have used for solving your own problem with software, but to then take it and to productize it is a whole other thing. And not only just to make the code productizable, but to then build the marketing website, write all the copy, figure out the positioning and then drive traffic, you know, and, and get folks to, to subscribe. So, so you had the product, but like, that's, I often say like the code itself is maybe 25% of the battle. It's the easiest part. It's the easiest part. <laughs> it's the like, fun part. We're developers. We can, this is very predictable. I know there's no technical challenge in most of the products that we see or use that are that hard. The challenge is, is in the marketing, the execution and all that. So at a certain point, you must have thought, this is a great idea. I want to sell it because it's working so well for us. You're, it sounds like your affiliate, you know, other affiliate friends or, or colleagues were using it. But when did you really decide to take that plunge? And I, I am curious, like, was Laura on board with it at that point? Or was it still a, do you really want to go off and do this kind of shiny object thing? Or, or by that point, was, was it not there? The conversation became, Andrew, you can't invest in any more money into developers building this hobby toy thing. Like it was basically like enough. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I have to make money to support my hobby. Because you, you build these businesses and you're like, but they're boring now because they make, that's what I live on. I need a new thing. And so uh, it was really to kind of bring in revenue to afford. And, and my thought was still just to kind of like subsidize the tech stack of our existing businesses. Like we have another SaaS tool that was like a tack on to Listen Money Matters that capped at maybe like 1500 a month. You know, it's fun. I'm playing with code. Pushing lasso this boulder up the hill is very different than kind of like a passively sold toy. So it was early 2020, right, as COVID was hitting, right, that, that you did launch lasso. Was it like March or April of 2020? Yeah, so it was April. We were in beta or, or alpha or whatever since January. We had a few people paying us $49 a month, and I am oh so grateful. And it was really, we did it. We had a lot of the pieces. The interface was wrong. No one could understand what was going on except for me. And I was really frustrated. I couldn't get that no one else got it. Anyways, we redid the interface, and we relaunched at $19. And it was just like, massive inflection point. Like the graph is like, I, I've been dreaming of graphs like these my whole life. And it was really, I think the price was right. You know, the interface, the, the marketing site, we kind of just really nailed the launch and it's been steady as she goes ever since. Just a kind of like straight line. So that's interesting. So you launched it and not only the product and the pricing were off, which is not uncommon because it's hard. That's a thing like so many developers and, and even when I was, let's say, building my first software products, I was a developer, so I thought, I can write code, I can therefore build a product. Those are two different things. Like, I was always writing line of business apps for, there was like a credit card company I worked for, there was, I don't know, there was a pet insurance company. So just these, you know, these little businesses that would hire us to spend 50 grand on back office automation. And that stuff doesn't need to be that usable because you have a pool of five users, right, or 10 users, and they can click around and do it. But to build a product that is consumed by a lot of people 
it's a very different skill set. There's a reason the phrase UX exists, right? It's, <laughs> it's different than the code and it's different than the UI itself. User interface obviously is like, oh, this, the fonts and the logos, but user experience is what you're talking about. So it sounds like you took your best guess as a developer and built something that was just not intuitive for other affiliate marketers. Is that right? Yeah, I just took heavy inspiration from like the Ahrefs interface, which, mm. you know, they're like a superpower tool, but objectively, it's a really thick interface. You have to be like a nerd to like want to go in there. Got it. And so how did you figure out, well, obviously people were saying, I'm confused, I don't know how to use it. So that, that's not like that was the message, but then how did you fix that? Because that's the hard part is knowing how to, how to make it usable. So at the time, it was Matt and I building this. And we just whiteboarded a lot. We had this relationship. Not like we yell at each other, like we don't like each other, but kind of just, I think it should be like this. We we're very passionately kind of building. And um, we figured out, I guess, slowly, and, it, and we're still kind of working out the kinks, like where the sticking points are, why maybe pieces were a bit extra. We're finding, or there's this quote that I'll, I'll really destroy, but it was like, uh, give me two hours and I'll write you seven pages. And if you want one page, just give me seven days where it's like, it takes so much longer to like edit it down to less. And so really figuring that out, it took us almost a year, how to make it less. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. So you spent a bunch of time on the, on the UX during that time, you know, you had learned that the pricing was too high for the market. I didn't even think the pricing was too high. I'm, I'm like super aggressive where I would want it to be more. And, and Matt lobbied me almost the whole year to get it down. And, and I literally was so tired of having the conversation. I was like, whatever, we could always raise it again. And, and we cut it. And the funny thing is, no matter what price we were at, $49, $19, and now $29, people always said it was too expensive and it was too much. And so I think we were desensitized to it at 49, or maybe we agreed. Then at 19, it was like, come on, it's so much more value than that. And you convinced me to raise the price, and we did. And uh, honestly, like the same number of people still complain about it, but the same amount of people also don't care. I like that story because there's a lot to it. Lowering your prices is hard, and it goes against a lot of the advice you might hear at MicroConf or here on this podcast, because most, especially developers, but most entrepreneurs underprice, they undervalue and underprice how valuable their product actually is. And so I spend a lot of time just saying, you need to raise your price, you need to raise your price. But you started arguably too high for your market. And yes, that does exist. People who listen to this podcast, you can overprice your product, of course. If I launched an ESP today to compete with MailChimp or Aweber, and I just said, oh, the starting price is 500 bucks a month and it's feature parity, like it is too expensive. So you can get there. I'm always scared to lower my price, or I used to be when I'd run SaaS apps because I didn't want to, A, crush my MRR. I didn't want to, you know, hamper our growth. I didn't want to bring in lower end customers who would need a lot of support. You know, there's just a lot that I don't want to increase churn potentially with people who are tire kickers and all that. As you, you went to 19 and then 29, did you find that the kind of quality of the users and customers changed or did it stay pretty consistent? Uh, it absolutely went up. And I think it's more like being expli almost like explicitly telling people like we're not for you yet. Like a lot of our customers and honestly, our ideal customers, people who are perhaps having sites like Listen Money Matters, where it's becoming unruly to manage, they're, they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And 
It doesn't matter. For us, we we kind of wanted everyone to try it because we knew we had bugs and we just wanted a lot of like tire kickers. Uh, Cloudflare, I, I love, love the company. They have this great article they wrote on why they give, they have a free plan. And uh, their bread and butter is their enterprise, but they use the free plan to bring in small sites like mine or whatever to really just kind of test their features and they do rollouts bottom up. And so... The thought was, if we can get a lot of people, they'll help us fix our bugs or tell us where they are. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. That's not, You don't do that anymore, right? No, no. I mean, well, they're still <laughs> finding bugs, but, you know. Right, right. Uh, that's funny. So well, that begs the question, because when you and I spoke and we were talking about Tiny Seed, because you had applied for, for the most recent batch, all, you know, I, I don't remember everything that we talked about, but I can almost guarantee you that I brought up price. And at your average revenue per user at $19 a month, it just isn't much. And and my mental framework for startups that I think have a higher chance of succeeding is the three Ps. It's the people involved, right? The founders, whether they have product market fit. And you can just look at numbers for that, right? It's like, our, well, our customers raving about it is churn low, is it growing, blah, blah, blah. And then price sensitivity or pricing is the third. And you know, having an average revenue per user of, let's say, $19 a month, really, really, really hard to build a seven-figure business with that. So I'm almost, I'm guessing that I, that I brought that up in our conversation. And how, how are you thinking about that, you know, in terms of raising that over time or of having the enterprise plan, you know, because Cloudflare can do it because they have the enterprise and that drives it. So what's your mental model of how to grow Lasso to that scale? I, I remember in this conversation, I don't, know if, I don't know if you remember, I know you talked to a lot of people then. I, I was actually explaining how it's $19 a month now and the ideal price would be zero. And then I was going to drive the price down to nothing. And, you know, I was explaining all of the other components that will add on and we'll make money over here and over there and not, not on the plugin. And, and you basically, basically told me like, no, that that's ridiculous. Like you bring in people who have no traffic and they don't really feed all the other things that you build. And I think I had this thought like, well, if everyone would use it, it would be more valuable. But I think where you kind of like helped me refine was everyone that has value being a customer needs to use it. You don't need the guy who started yesterday. You know, he may give up and then he was never even worth supporting. Yeah, and to do freemium like that at that scale, like again, to come back to Cloudflare, they have a lot of, they've raised a lot of money. You know, that often requires more support and more money in the bank just to to live out that freemium because freemium pushes off revenue. It's obvious, but it's like, if I start a free plan today, I may make more money next year or three or four years down the line, but I need cash in the bank then to run my team in the meantime. And that's the, that's the struggle. You know, Lasso sits like kind of in this spot where there's a lot of people who just started like yesterday or they've been doing it for, for years. And we pretty much found that people who need the lower price or people who, well, well really, the, these people, they're more needy. Like the people who just started or the people who need the lower price versus the bigger people. And for us, we're, we're a small team and we just, we're spinning our wheels multiple times more on these baby customers. And big customers would come in, sign up, overlook all these like kind of, uh, you know, annoying things and just pay us. Yeah, and that's a common, it's counterintuitive the first time you hear it, but it's definitely, a, it's another data point that lower paying customers in general tend to have a little more drag on them. 
And so we've talked a lot. I mean, obviously the product is successful. It's growing. You have a team of nine working on this, but I don't know that we've covered any, like aside from some bugs and some early launches and UX stuff and having to change pricing, like when was a moment where you just felt like kicked in the teeth as you were growing this? Any time over that, like what? What was one, you know one or two of the hardest times where you're like, this shit's not gonna work, or why the f- am I doing this when I don't need to be? Yeah. So uh, we we had launched in April, and it was just Matt and I, and we had a, a VA that we used on our other businesses that we brought in to kind of help do little tiny tasks. But it was Matt and I in intercom, in support. It was Matt and I pushing the bugs. I would push fixes that would have new bugs and people were complaining. And it was just a lot of work. And we were kind of at each other's throats. I was like a year ago, October of last year. It just wasn't for Matt. Matt wanted a more lackadaisical lifestyle. He wanted to kind of do his things. And I don't think he wanted software as much as I did. You know, to your point, it's pretty brutal business. And so we split ways. I, I bought him out. And then it was went from a team of two that was not enough to a team of one that was super not enough. And I, I really just nose to the grindstone. I don't know how I survived. It was tough. I bet. And how long did that last until it started feeling better? Because a question I often get is how long should I grind, you know, not enjoying it before I either give up or sell it or whatever? I will say that it kind of maybe is always a bit grindy. It just, the grind shifts and maybe, you know, it's interesting like that. Uh, But for us, it was uh, December. I actually wound up writing Indie Hackers because I was like, oh, maybe I'll find customers on Indie Hackers. I wrote a thing and I think I titled it like We Escaped Integration Hell which was kind of like integrating with the WordPress platform at large. And like many other you know, politicians or leaders, I think I called victory way early, but the worst of it was over in December. Of 2020, so that's like 10 months ago. And I want to say maybe January, February was like markedly better, like it, it, for me to mess up, which I, I repeatedly do. But Right, but you seem okay with that. Like some people, like when I talk to them on the podcast, if we start to dig into mistakes they made or failures they had, they feel bad about it. Like it's a negative thing, but you almost are wearing it like as a badge of honor. Like, yeah, I launched a bunch of businesses. They didn't work. I tried to monetize the podcast. It, you know, three times it didn't work. I eventually found it. And, and you're basically saying, and I messed up UX. I mean, you're very open about that. Is that just a, a character trait or did you have to develop that? I mean, maybe it's a character trait. My, my dad is very humble. He would always kind of tell me that everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. And I, I, you know, I tell my team humble beginnings, things like that. Like I think we, we need to stay humble and it's, it's easy to let your head get the better of you. But I don't know. I, I think we just mess up so much. You kind of just get over it. I guess like we live in this space or when I, when I have listen money matters or I still own it, but people do income reports like Pat Flynn, everyone's killing it. They have all these crazy numbers. People are dropping launches, hundreds of thousands of dollars in these launches. I have launched courses, books, other SaaS products, new websites. I feel like I kind of know what I'm doing. I've never had a successful launch. We've never blown it up more than maybe $5,000. And so I just, I honestly don't believe it. I think they're they're lying or it's this lightning struck and it's oversubscribed. It's like those Tesla battery fires from a few years ago. One car blows up, everyone flips out. What about like all those gasoline cars that are constantly on fire on the sides of the highway? Like that's old news, you know? And so I just think that like you have to just kind of push through, through the brick wall. There's no around. That's a really, that's a 
pretty healthy way of thinking about it, to be honest. I think it's something a lot of people struggle with, me as well, sometimes admitting, I really screwed up there, you know, or, or like in retrospect, that was just a dumb decision that I should have made better or I will do better next time. So I think it's, it's a healthy attitude that you have. A core kind of uh, character trait of being on the team is you have to be able to tell me when I'm wrong, where I'm wrong, and all the things. And, and we kind of do it to each other, but uh, I, I need counterbalance. I, or I could just be too headstrong and I'll go get lost in the woods. And so what's next? I mean, here we, we sit, you know, entering the holiday season. Is, is um, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, is that an uptick for Lasso? Is it seasonal at all or is it not? It's not like e-commerce. We're not going to run a deal. We are launching into our beta group that we have comparison tables, I want to say in like four days, which has been by far the most asked for product feature. I mean, pretty much from day one. And we're like, we, we started telling everyone no, that they don't know what they're talking about. They don't need it. And eventually it was like, okay, enough people want it. We just like literally have to do it. And so I think that will, that will be really good for sales. And then we're building like our space plan things. Awesome. Well, if folks want to find out what you're up to, they can head to getlasso.co. And on Twitter, you are Andy Feeb, F-I-E-B. Thanks for joining me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me this week. If you haven't downloaded the secret episodes of Startups for the Rest of Us, we have two of them. One is eight things you should know when you're starting up. And the other one is 10 things you should know as you're scaling your SaaS. I have gotten a lot of positive feedback about these. If you sign up for the email list, startupfortherestofus.com, you'll get both of those episodes as MP3s. And also we turn them into PDF guides so you can read through them. If you uh, decide that you just want to read instead of listening, those are both Rob solo adventures. And if you're not on the list, you should be. Thank you so much for joining me this week. And every week, hope you're able to push your business forward and I'll be back in your ears next Tuesday morning. Thanks to our sponsor, Software Promotions. Software Promotions has been managing Google Ads and Google SEO for clients for 22 years, if you can believe it. They've worked with more than 600 businesses. They're no nonsense, a lot of transparency. And you know, one of the co-founders, Dave Collins, has spoken seven times at MicroComps. You've likely seen his videos if you've checked out our YouTube channel. He's also spoken at Business to Software and countless other conferences around the world. So if you're looking for someone to help you with your Google Ads, whether you're just getting started, whether you want an expert eye, whether you want someone to manage that for you, as well as SEO from audits to getting down and dirty with organic search, Dave and Aaron know what they're talking about. Those are the co-founders of Software Promotions. You can head to bit.ly slash tame Google to learn more about Software Promotions or head to softwarepromotions.com and let them know you heard about them on Startups for the Rest of Us. Thanks to Dave and Aaron for sponsoring the show. 